We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Morning, everyone. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm Neil. I'm going to be talking to us today about this topic, declaration, prayer, and the kingdom of God. That sounds like three topics, doesn't it, really? So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was with the Doulos team, and uh, we were having a lovely time in Frinton-on-Sea. And while we were there, uh, they had to listen to me talking about something we call governmental prayer, which is something which happens at 6.15 on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Governmental prayer is a whole attitude to prayer. It's a whole way of praying, and it's a whole type of prayer that we believe God has spoken to us about and given us revelation and understanding of. And what we realized, is, as I shared it, is it's actually been a little while since we've talked about it um, in this kind of context. So what I'm going to do is some of this stuff the Dooleys will have heard before, some of the stuff the Dooleys won't have heard before, and I'm hoping that somewhere along the way, God will speak to you, because that's, that's what tends to happen. So in amongst this little uh, potpourri of things that I feel God's given me, um, I believe there's going to be some stuff which is going to be helpful. Well, otherwise I wouldn't share it, would I? Teach us to pray, they said to Jesus. Teach us to pray. And um, in Luke's Gospel, he turns to them and he says, this then is how you should pray. He says, when you pray, you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I've chosen to read from Matthew 6, but it's the same prayer as he talks about in Luke Luke 11. Now, I was brought up in a place where that was a prayer that we would have prayed every week, when we came together as, as a church. And I realized the other day that when I was talking to my son, who doesn't know, sorry, I was going to say doesn't know very much. He knows a lot of things. But, um, but I find that I can talk about, I mean, he'd never heard the expression, sorry, this is, a, this is a digression here. He had never heard the expression to cut off your nose to spite your face. I mean, I mean, it's like, I wonder who brought him up. I mean, you know, he looked at, I said, that's, you know, that thing that you're talking about, that's cutting off your nose to spite your face. And he went, anyway, he just didn't understand it. Hands up if you understand the expression. Basically, it's doing something that's to hurt someone else, but actually will hurt you. I realized when I was his age, I could have recited the Lord's Prayer. This is thing we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I realized I could, it would be just something that was in me because, because I'd said it since I was like this big. Had no idea what the words meant, of course, but I could say it. But of course, we don't, we don't do that kind of thing. So I realized that quite a lot of us don't know that, probably. But here's the thing. I don't think Jesus, when he gave us that model of prayer, was actually giving us a prayer to pray. What he was doing was giving us a thing that would teach us about all the different types of prayer that we need to be praying. So when we pray our Father, you know, I was just praying this morning as we were worshipping. God is our Father. God is our Father. And one day, I'm going to go to be with him. 
and he's my father. What, what a wonderful thing to know that he's my father, to know that he cares for me. It talks about, it talks about in that same prayer, it talks about um, things that I ask for, for others. It talks about things I ask for for myself. It talks about things I'm thanking God for. But the particular line I want to pick out is verse 10, which says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. See, here's the thing. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he told us to seek the kingdom of God. In that same chapter, Matthew 6, he says, Don't worry about what shall we eat, or what shall we drink. You know, how many of us worry about perhaps not what we eat and drink, although sometimes that is something which we can choose to get worried about, or what shall we wear? Now, that's a big one. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God has called us to be those that would seek his kingdom. We don't need to prop up the church. We need to seek his kingdom with all our heart. But what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about that, but um, first I'm going to show you a short video, which is about the kingdom of God. Where do we find it, and how do we seek it? And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. You said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven 
where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Okay. So, God's space and human space completely overlap once again. This morning, in, I was reading in Habakkuk, it talked about the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth, just like the water, waters cover the sea. Um, you know, the sea is a vast thing, isn't it? And it's pretty full of water. When, one day, the earth will be as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. And... Um, so what, what I want us to think about is the fact that this thing, the kingdom of God on earth, is, is a place where, where God is exercising his rule. And the way that he exercises his rule and establishes his rule is by his word. He brings his word to us and we speak into situations that word. That word is a weapon that God's given us that is powerful. He gives us a word to speak into situations, and that will change the situation. It is not the same after we have spoken the word. And so there is this kind of overlapping between heaven and earth, but we are involved in seeking the kingdom of God in the earth so that as we, and as we step out and as we take risks for him and as we give, we share uh, what, what we know God to have said, so we see his kingdom established and expanded. There are, these are the main principles of governmental prayer that I want to share with you today. Firstly, God has a divine will. There is something that God wants. Okay, Perhaps that's not a major revelation, but in every situation you face, there is something that God wants. And that the next amazing thing is that not only is there something that God wants, but he does nothing without revealing his plans to his prophets, his servants, the prophets. Everything that he has wanted to do, he will show us. And when we pray, we pray declaring 
those things in line with what he has spoken, that is what establishes God's kingdom. What a totally presumptuous thing for me to say. God speaks, I speak out that word, and somehow he uses me to establish his kingdom on the earth. But that's what we believe. We have to believe that God can speak to us. But what an amazing thing to say. We can't become over-familiar with this. Matthew Stanford shared this with me. Uh, We need a rediscovery of the terror of proximity. We're over-familiar with holy things. We speak in tongues and think it's no big deal. We experience healings. We talk to God. He talks back, for crying out loud. That means we're either clinically insane, suffering from some kind of religious psychosis, or we're experiencing the actual living, conversational, interaction, interactive relationship with the creator of the cosmos. There is no middle ground. We're insane or we're saints. Sometimes when we pray, it feels a bit like this. Uh, you know, God's spoken about something or we, we see a need and we want to pray, but we really just don't know what to do. And then other times we pray and we just hope that some of our prayers land in the right place. So we're just kind of firing off our prayers. And, and whilst I'd say that sometimes that is what God's given us, sometimes that's we're banging on the door of the person next door to get some bread. We, there is, we don't actually know what to pray. And the Spirit says that he will help us in those situations to pray with words that cannot cannot express. This is not what governmental prayer is is about. Governmental prayer is more like this, uh, uh, where we come together over an issue and together we discern what God is saying into a situation. And when we hear as a body, we hear more accurately. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.16 talks about, talks about, but we have the mind of Christ. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He doesn't say, but I have the mind of Christ. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. So when we come together and we seek God, so when we come together first Tuesday prayer, when we come together on a Tuesday morning, when we come together in our groups, in our small groups, and we pray into issues, we are more able to discern God's will because out of the multitude of our hearings, we can discern what God is saying. And when we know what God's saying, then we can pray and we can hit the target. We can hit exactly what he wants. Coming back to those principles, God has a divine will. We can know what that will is, and he can use us in establishing his purposes. As I said, what what a presumptuous thing to think that I could be like this. But let's, let's remember Our position has been given to us by God. In Ephesians 1, verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We don't have much problem, those of us that have surrendered to Jesus, those of us that are following him, in believing that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But here's the follow-up. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, so that in, the, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. So when we come to pray into situations, when we have God's word, this is not a place of, of cringing. This is not a place of fawning. 
is not a place of, of scrabbling. This is the thing that God has made us to be, is to, to be those that can reign with him. We're not carried along by the world anymore. We have a right to rule because of what Jesus has done. In every situation, you can be the master under Jesus of what is happening to you in your life. We reign with him. But how, can, how, how is this possible? Well, firstly, we have to know that our accuracy. We have to know something about our accuracy. And, and our accuracy is based on the prophetic gift. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, that we have what we have asked of him. It's from 1 John 5, 15 to, 14 to 15. When we ask for things that he wants, we can already thank God that we've received them. We don't have the authority in ourselves. The enemy is powerful. On my own, I can't withstand him. I really can't. And he, he, he's like a lion looking around for people to devour. But with God, he doesn't stand a chance. So pick up what God's saying into these situations... I'm going to ground it in a moment into some real situations. But pick up what God's saying, and the results will be amazing. So the authority does not come from ourselves. The authority comes from his word. And when we pray as a body, and this is, this is a, it's sort of something really key to this, I think, is uh, how we pray together. Do you ever find yourself in a, in a prayer meeting kind of context where you feel like you're waiting your turn to pray? And you're probably working out what you're going to say before the next person has finished, previous person has finished. And you know that at some point you'll be able to get your prayer in. So you're concentrating, concentrating, waiting for that space. Oh, it's probably only me that ever does this. And then you get your prayer in and then it moves on to the next person. You breathe a sigh of relief because you've prayed your prayer out loud and it's all, it's all fine. What God wants is for us to listen to what one person is praying, to hear what God is saying through it, and to pick up where they leave off. Do you know, it's actually good, good practice when you're praying in a group not to use amen too much. Amen means I agree, but we've used it as a kind of polite way of saying, i finished now, you can have a go. But that actually isn't really what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God, and he's in the group with you. And as you speak... So we need, to, we need to give space for one another to pick up. I, I get what you're... This is what I see God doing in this situation. And to sort of pick up... So it's like a relay thing going on. So confidence... Confidence is not about our volume either, okay? Uh, we don't just have to be... We don't have to be loud in order to be confident. Confidence is about our internal position. I would encourage us also to, to just be, even in that context of praying together, we're still a bit embarrassed by our gift of tongues, some of us. Maybe you don't have the gift of tongues. But I'd encourage you to, to pray in tongues together because I believe that builds you up. The Bible says that if we, the person who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. It builds you up. But it also allows you to put aside the baggage at the door so you can more accurately hear what God's saying into a situation. A bit more scripture. Read. It's not an instruction for you. But I'll read it. Let the saints rejoice in this honour and sing for joy on their beds. 
May the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints, praise the Lord. There's so much in that psalm about prayer. Now, I don't know what David had in mind when he wrote it. I think he may have been thinking of a literal sword. But we know that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And the, and the Word of God is, is as sharp as a double-edged sword. And the Word of God is what he's given us to inflict vengeance on those that would stand against the people of God. On sickness, on disease, on poverty, loneliness. God has put that into our hands. He places the lonely in families. He's put that into our hands so that we can carry out the sentence that's written. So there's a, there's a something which we have to do. This thing which God has spoken about, somehow he also involves us in delivering. He wrote it, but we're to carry it out. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. We've talked about this quite a lot, and I think it's, it's really relevant for us at this time. We are at war. We are in a battle. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pull on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. But in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And he goes on to say, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about my own experience. So this is dangerous, so you may, in the end, want to correct me on this. So I'm just talking about my experience of how God has given me words to pray in different situations. I think it's right, but this is, do Liz, this is new, this slide. I made this bit up. I think there are three ways that God can give us things to declare. One is literally you remember a verse I don't think there has to be something spiritual about that. I think sometimes it's just you remember something that you have learned, and these things are always true. So it might be that you're facing a struggle in your work or in some situations on part of your life, and you're feeling like God has left you. But you're, you know that the Bible says, or Jesus said, I am with you always until the very end of the age. And no matter how it feels, you know that Jesus doesn't lie. And so you stand on that truth, because that is always true. And no matter how much the enemy wants to chuck at me other things, I don't need to hear it any other way than to remember that verse that talks about Jesus promising never to leave or forsake me. Sometimes you have a sense of what God is saying in a particular situation, which may or may not be based on the scripture. I can remember one time, we, Christina and I um, had not long been married, and um, we were feeling, I was, we had a plan, we had a plan. Do you ever, have you ever had a plan that God's changed? So we had a plan, uh, we both graduated, uh, I took a bit longer than her because I teach her trained and then 
taught her, didn't earn some money. She went straight out into the world of work. So we, we had this plan that after we'd been married for a short while, because um, she comes from north of Watford. Did you know that? She comes from somewhere up there. Uh, Grimsby. Okay. There are other people in the church that come from a similar area. You can tell them. I won't say how, but you can. They're just lovely. Obviously, is what I was thinking. We were living in London for a short time, and I knew that uh, God was going to call us, uh, was going to, call us uh, to, to, to go north. And, um, and I applied for a job after two years in a place called Wisbeach, uh, which really does exist. It's a true story. You can check it out. It is in the middle of nowhere. Well, I not only was going to go. I went for an interview, and I went through the interview, and they... I mean, I must have been, I was 24 or something, and uh, I applied for the job, they shortlisted me, I said, well, it's a long way, can you put us up the night before, oh, do you mind if I bring my wife, because we want to have a look around, so we get put up in a hotel, I mean, I, I didn't, none of this triggered with me that I was being difficult or anything, anyway, so they paid for the hotel, they paid for the, and then halfway through the process, I, I just felt God saying, no, this is not for you, and, uh, and so... <laughs> So I had to say, well, actually, I don't think this is for us now. And it was like it was after I'd started the process that I heard the voice behind me saying, this is the way walking it. This is not for you. And, um, and that was just, that's just uh, 24. I was 24 at the time, so it was like a few years ago. Okay? That's about Nathan's age. But could I point to a scripture that said that was right? I? No, I couldn't. But I had a sense that that's what we should do. And actually, it was impossible for us to live in London. We could never afford to buy anywhere. Sound familiar? We could never afford to buy anywhere. Uh, as long as we both kept working, we could probably do it. But then we decided that God was saying that Christina should give up her job. So Christina gave up her job uh, and halved our income. And God told me, I'm going to provide for your family through you. Don't worry about it. Again, I can't point to the scripture the only scripture I could point to is God said he will provide for us everything that we needed. And that's what I found to be true. Sometimes we haven't got a scripture. Sometimes we have, to, we have to step into something and we hear God saying, but I still believe that we can stand on the strength of that word. And particularly when we come to others and we say, do you know what? I don't know what to do in this situation, but this is what I sense God is saying. And then we can stand, they will help us to weigh whether that's what's right or not because actually it could have been crazy we could have you know well probably but actually God knew what he was doing and there might be times I think oh well what if I'd done that what if I do you know what God has placed me right in the middle of his purpose for my life and that's why I'm here so having a a sense of what God is saying for now in a particular situation and here's the the real moment sometimes you get that sense of this is what God's saying through a specific scripture for now. I think it happened for Jesus when he was reading from Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. I think when he read that, he just went, that's it. That's, this is it. This is what God has anointed me for, to preach good news to the poor. But there are other times in our lives when we know that God has spoken to us like that. And when we stand on the strength of his word, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us, we can stand secure in him. Now, each of those three things are for use in the body. They're not for use 
for me on my own in my room where I've closed the door. I do pray like that sometimes, but when I'm trying to hear what God's saying, I, I have a body, and that's you lot. I have people that I'm accountable to, and they will help me to sense, is this what God's saying? Are you sure? And that's really important. So I want to just, just talk about picking up the sword then, picking up the sword. Picking up the sword means listening to God and rejecting enemy voices. In Ephesians 6, he goes on to talk about praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, ask God to call to mind his word. Some of us are really good at remembering things. Some of us are really good at remembering different things. I'm quite good at remembering scripture, but I'm really bad at remembering that thing that Christina asked me to do. Some might say that was a choice, but I, t- I choose not to listen to that. It's just my mind works for some things and not for others. God may or may not have given you the, the ability to call to mind vast amounts of scripture, but do you know what? The Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will gift each of us to be able to remember things that he has said. And do you know, sometimes people quote scriptures and they don't realize they're doing it. They'll say, <laughs> you'll be talking to someone and, you know, they'll say things like, I'm taking that provision thing. I just feel that God's going to provide for me. I said, well, did you know that that's a scripture? I feel like, I feel like of helping someone to recognize God's word, because I don't think we always do that. And I'd like to encourage you to really do that. We've got this opportunity coming up where we're going to be looking at the Old Testament as a whole and learning more about that. But guys, we've got to get, we've got to get sharper with knowing the, knowing the word anyway. We've got to do, that wasn't meant to be a but, it's an and. We've got to know the word because the word is the thing which helps us because it's living and active and sharper than the double-edged sword. It's the thing that helps us to pray and helps us to change situations. So call to mind his word, it might be a scripture or a truth God shows you about a situation. And when you confront, oh then, sorry, we then need to also confront every other perspective as it lands on our head, standing on the truth of that word. Do you know we can get, what is the point of your life? We can have these things going through our heads. What, what, what do you think you're about? Every, every one of your days was written in his book before one of them came to be. Every one of your days was written in his book before one of them came to be. I don't know where you are in your life at the moment, but tomorrow hasn't happened yet, but he knows. This week, one of our prayers, uh, Lynn, passed away, who we know as someone, Lynn Finley, who prayed very faithfully, despite difficulties, through many years. And God says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't know why. I don't know why life was like it was, I do know that right now there is, a, there is something else going on in heaven, a rejoicing going on about one who finished a race. Here's a, we've been praying a lot for Miles. Um, baby, you may know, was born very prematurely. It was his due date this week, three and a half months, and he's now, you know, due. When we were praying, we have, we've had like a group that have been praying for him. Um, Lucy November shared this from Isaiah 49. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you. Your children, I will say. What a powerful verse. And we took that to, to apply to Miles. But you know, for others, I believe that's a very powerful word to hold on to right now whose children we want to see saved. I believe that God is calling us to step up a gear in our prayer, to, to, to start to really contend 
I mean, God says, I will contend with those who contend with you. Praise God. He intercedes for us. I've talked about that in relatively recent past. We know that he prays for us, but he's also seated us with Christ so that we can extend his rule on the earth, so we can speak out his word. We're at war. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle. This is what, this is what God is calling us to be, to do, to rule in the midst of our enemies. Governmental prayer or praying in the kingdom is, is, is stretching out Christ's scepter so he rules in the midst of his enemies. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. Forceful men have taken hold of it. Forceful people have taken hold of it. God is calling us to, to take up that mandate that he gave to Adam, to rule over the earth and subdue it. When we pray governmentally, we expect to see things through to the finish. It's too quick. I don't want you to look at that. God has called us to be those that are finishers. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him simply and to finish his work. We pray expecting to see things through to the finish. We're not going to, to stop part way. When God has said something, we're going to pray it through and see it to completeness. And it's something which it causes us to look beyond ourselves. Okay? Um, we can, of course we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. That, Jesus has given us permission. He's told us when you pray, pray for that. Lord, help me to forgive those who sin against me as I forgive those who sin against Sorry, Help me to forgive, forgive, those who sin, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. He, he, he commands us to do that, of course. But he also commands us to pray your kingdom come. And so there is a bigger thing that we're part of. There is a bigger heart that we need, a kingdom-focused heart that is bigger than this church, is bigger than my place of work, it's bigger than my everyday. It is something which is going to lead to the earth being filled of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. Um, we become kings as we reach into other nations through prayer. What a ridiculous thing to say that we in Barking and Dagenham, in Redbridge, if we pray in a hall, something changes in the nation of Sierra Leone. What a ridiculous thing to think that Zimbabwe's future has been altered by pray, the prayers that we have prayed. But I believe it to be so. I believe that God has spoken to us over the years, time and again, about things that affect nations. He's talked to us about things that affect this nation. And my goodness me, has there ever been a time when this nation hasn't needed more of a change? We need hope, but God has given us hope. God is the one who spoke into darkness and created light. He can do whatever. Early in the morning, just as Jesus was on back to the city, this is in Matthew 21, he's, he was hungry and he saw a fig tree by the road and he went up to it and found nothing on it except for leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered. And the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they said. Truly, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was uh, done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. What mountains, what mountains does God want us to move? What mountains does he want us to move? I, not many people would have read it, I suspect now. Back in the day, I did enjoy the sacred diary of Adrian Plass. 
it's about 25 years old, so probably when you, it's a bit too advanced reading for when you were that age, Nathan. He gets very excited by this verse, speaking to mountains, and he tries to move a paperclip, and then gets very dispirited because he can't move the paperclip, which was quite funny at the time. It made me laugh. But I believe that what God's talking about here is something much more than a physical mountain. Much more, much more than a physical mountain. What are the mountains that God has called us to move? Spurgeon, just going to read a little bit from uh, Spurgeon, if you can cope with it. But if you can't, just filter it. There's a whole load. He gets very excited. Spurgeon is an amazing thing to read, if you can get your head around his language. But he's reading, he's talking about picking up your sword. Neither, can you, neither may you so much as dream of winning the battle by accident. No one has ever been holy by happy chance. Infinite damage may be done by carelessness, but no one ever won life's battle by it. To let things go on as they please is to let them bear us down to hell. We have no orders to be quiet and to take matters easily. No, we are to pray always, watch constantly. And one note that rings out in this text is, take the sword, take the sword. No longer is it talk and debate. No longer is it parley and compromise. The word of thunder is, take the sword. The captain's voice is loud and clear as a trumpet. Take the sword. No Christian may, man here will have been obedient to our text unless with clear, sharp and decisive firmness, courage and resolve, he takes the sword. Taking the sword means standing firm, not giving way, no compromise, no truce, not being neutral, but taking ground. When God has said something, it will be so. It will be so. And we won't give in until it is so. Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not a new thing, but I just want to remind us, gates are not offensive weapons. They are weapons of defense. And we are designed to go into hell through the church and to drag people out of it. So commit to see to the finish. Pray always. Watch constantly individually and corporately, declaring what God has said and invading enemy territory for him. This is all connected with being in the presence of God. We cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. As we stand in his presence, so he changes us from being uh, accepting, weak and pliable into those that become warriors for him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you just that. We thank you that you are our Father. Lord, let your spirit move amongst us, even now, that we would see the enemy driven back, that your kingdom would increase on the earth through us and in us. Expand your ground. Cause us to be those that will pick up your word and run with it faithfully. Lord, draw us deeper into you. Blessed be your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.